Welcome to the Sunshine Coast Real Estate Podcast, your go-to source for all things real estate on the Sunshine Coast of beautiful British Columbia. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. And now your host, Nathan Demers. Good morning, Sunshine Coasters. Today, we're joined by Pam Robertson of Sunshine Coast Tiny Homes. Pam started up building tiny homes simply because she needed a place to live while she worked on a remote job site up north. And before she knew it, she had a full-fledged business on her hands, providing a much-needed housing solution to people all over the coast and throughout BC and beyond. She's here today to talk a little bit about the process of building and owning a tiny home. Hi, Pam. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell me a bit about yourself. How did you get into building tiny homes on the Sunshine Coast? Uh-huh. So it's funny, many years back, I was working in the construction industry as a safety coordinator, and I was going to job sites back and forth. And the idea of building tiny homes came when crossed through my Facebook feed, I think, or a Google somehow, and I was like compulsed to build one. Compulsion isn't something that naturally happens to me. Usually I'm pretty, you know, I'll, I'll catch on to an idea and it'll be like, okay, let's explore this. But this one was I had to pursue it. The idea was to have a home away from home. So instead of living in the Jack and Jill sort of environment with wherever they place you in some of the seedy hotels or ATCO trailers, I was like, I'm going to tow one of these things and have a really nice place to stay both when I'm at home and away. So all the comforts, just bring all the comforts with me. So that's kind of how it all started. And so Um, did you build one for yourself at that point? I did. I did. So I was working rotation work. I was two weeks on, two weeks off. And I decided to take on this project on my two weeks at home. And I consulted with some people. I YouTubed a lot of, you know, how to's. There was a builder on the Vancouver Island. And so those were early days here in Canada of Hmm. building tiny homes. So not a lot of things were happening out there. But I found this guy named Michael and his wife, Kirsten, and they came over and helped me get started with the foundation, you would say. So helping me figure out how to connect the structure to the trailer. So you built that first prototype. I built the first prototype. Took me a year and a half. My mom came and uh, helped. I say hi, Jack, but she came and helped me on the project. And she's an amazing finishing carpenter. She's got an eye for detail, lighting, you know, all the sort of aesthetics. And she had the vision of seeing it at the end and sometimes her vision and my vision clashed so in her absence i would do some things while she was away she worked rotation as well so we had about four days a month that would overlap together and then we would work on the project individually and in each other's absences so i'd come back and some things were done her way and she'd come back (laughs) and some things were done my way. that's a trick do it when she's away (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So did you spend any time living in there while you were building it? I did not, actually. I I, uh, sat there and visualized a lot of things. Yeah. Obviously, you know, had a a great appreciation for creating something like that caliper. I had some construction experience, but nothing like start to finish of a whole entire house build. So it was a big learning curve. It was a massive undertaking, but it was such a positive journey. At the end, we ended up having about 15 different uses for it one point my mom was going to move in there. We started the project off the property and then we bought property. My mom and I co-owned it. Um, And so we lived in the house, my sons and I, Uh, my mom lived somewhere else. So, but she was thinking about moving into it to be on the property. Okay. The other was let's rent it out and maybe get some revenue from it. Or we were zoned for bed and breakfast. So it seemed natural to maybe even, you know, 
have it as an example of tiny homes, you know, what they're like. And at that time, it was just starting to, you know, bubble up, not in popularity, but in, you know, people. Awareness. Awareness. Yeah. So there's a lot of that happening. When we finished, I had a little bit of a following on Facebook. I started Pam's Tiny House on Wheels. And I think I followed you. hmm? (laughs) I think I followed you. Yeah. Back in the early days, it was about 2014, 15. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. And so we, I put up that we were having a little open house. So kind of like a realtor, we put the sign out and tiny house, open house. And uh, we had quite the attendance. Wow. It was a, not a great day. It was raining a little bit. And so we all, you know, kind of were talking outside, but then everybody was inside. There were people up in the loft. There were people in the bathroom. There were people in the living room and in the kitchen. And at one point stopped the crowd and said, can you like stop for a minute? And I think we counted 13 people inside. Oh, wow. And so I just, I stopped and said, Hey, do you realize comfortably, like we were all just chatting and, and having a party inside the tiny house and yeah, it had yeah. 13 people and like, wow. Yeah. So it was pretty incredible to kind of have that moment. <laughs> so when you built that first kind of prototype, did you, at that point, were you conceiving of this as a business or was that just for yourself? And if not, when did you sort of think of it as a business? When did that kind of hit you? So like I said, it evolved a bunch of different purposes throughout the build. And then when we finished, it was like, okay, well, I was contemplating, you know, what to do next. One of the things that I wanted to do was have a tiny home community. Mm -hmm. And then when we went to kind of go and explore other options, I listed it on Craigslist to sell. We were like, well, maybe we could do it again. But, you know, the intention was to reclaim back some of our expenses that we had put into it and right. listed it on Craigslist and it sold within 12 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, one of the conditions to it selling was that the new owner could actually rent back land space on the, our property. So it, it actually worked out really well for this woman who purchased it. She was mm. trying to move up to the coast. And so it worked out perfectly she's still there like seven years eight years later almost. wow still yeah. comfortable <laughs> I, I believe so yeah yeah so she's still situated yeah she's done a few improvements changed some of the exterior color and sort of oh, cool. and it's it's been sitting there very visible like in a high profile kind of area for a long period of time so so what is your typical customer like your typical buyer it's been quite a bit of mix of people But I would say my typical buyer would be, you know, women my age or, you know, close to retirement kind of looking at freeing up some of their finances. You know, Mm -hmm. big conventional homes are costly and cosmetic. So people are looking to downsize. Their kids have left home. So that was primarily, you know, a majority of my clients at the beginning. We have young families who are purchasing tiny homes as a way of lifestyle. It's as a means to, you know, ownership. How many people would you say could live comfortably in a tiny home? Speaking of young families. Yeah. So we have a young family of three in okay. one of our homes. And we've also, there's a family of five. So oh, wow. there's, yeah, twin boys who are probably 11 years old now and a teenage daughter. Um, and they have a little bit of extra out space. I think they have a yurt on their property. So they oh, have cool. room to kind of, yeah, breathe. But that's mostly you know young couples with dogs and birds and cats and yeah yeah <laughs> for, for families yeah right yeah so what is the process like somebody comes to you and says hey i'm going to do this i want to build a tiny home or have one built what does that process look like from start to finish yeah yeah so we do a lot of things online a lot of virtual meetings we do quite a bit of intake through emails and we also use 
helpful platforms to kind of gather information. But at the beginning, it's, you know, they kind of approach either through the social media, through the website, or even a phone call. And we will set up an appointment. So they have a half hour consultation. I kind of get some information where they're at, what their knowledge of tiny homes is, Mm -hmm. and, you know, what their plans are. So their build date, when they're anticipated completion is, you know, what's going on in their lives. And so we kind of start there. Sort of a custom experience for every person, I guess. Yeah, every experience is unique and everybody's circumstances are also unique. And so there's just so many facets to tiny home living and, you know, placement and people's arrangements and circumstances, right? So Mm -hmm. once we establish, you know, what their needs are, then we send them a document or a form or a link to fill out sort of what features are important to them. So other people have, you know, difference in climate control, or they're looking for a completely off-grid tiny home, which we service, or a completely on-grid tiny home. So it really is a lot of, you know, information gathering at the beginning. We give Mm -hmm. a a rough estimate. So we kind of give you an outline, a ballpark figure of what your home will be based on that information. And then we send the client off to gather their finances. So we work with a few finance companies, namely a credit union. So it would be a credit union based to their region. Right. Or we use another company called City Financial, who are a national reach. And that's been quite successful and quite an easy process for most people. And Sunshine Coast Credit Union as well? We have used Sunshine Coast Credit Union numerous times. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would the buyer need to have in place first? Do they need land, electricity, plumbing? So at the early days, most of our clients had a hope and a prayer. Right. <laughs> they operated That's off. all there was required. That's all that's required. <laughs> something's going to pull through at the last minute. So uh, right. we kind of did that at the beginning and that was kind of fun and also really unnerving for the clients. Because it was early days, there were quite a few sort of fall throughs of direction. But in the end, everything always works out. And sometimes, well, most of the time better than the original plan, right? So we say tiny home building's not for the faint of heart. It's getting a little easier because it's progressing and the education and the awareness and the knowledge about tiny homes is starting to expand. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, it was a bit of a trek explaining things and having people understand if they weren't, you know, already following the movement in the early adopter stage. Now we find through a screening, through our consultation booking, people will tell us what their level of knowledge is about tiny homes, which is also very helpful. It is great to already scope out land where you're going to place it. RV parks are opening up and and accepting tiny homes, which is becoming a little bit more mainstream. Most Um, people come to you with already having a piece of land and they're like, I want something to put on this piece of land or they come to you kind of Hey, I just want to start this. What's the process? That kind of thing. Both. Both, I think. And sometimes we have connections. Like yesterday, I just had, you know, somebody out of the blue saying, hey, I'm going to put a pad on my property. Do you have any, you know, potential tiny home owners that would be interested? In renting the land back. Is that kind of how they do that? We would rent the land space, similar to what I did at the very beginning. So you just create the infrastructure. So a lot of times if we're building to the RV standard, it's basically an RV hookup on the property. And if you have say a septic system or a septic field on your property that can accommodate one more bedroom per se. That's kind of the way the Vancouver Coastal Health or the Health Board looks at things. It's what your capacity of your tank takes. Then you can kind of connect to the existing or you put in a small field to accommodate. And so you have to go through that curriculum. The other is if you have power already at your property, then, you know, you can just pull from that if it's there, like, you know, if you can expand and water, right? So those are the three things that are key to 
And a lot of times it's just an RV hookup station, right? So you have everything right. on one post. It's got water, power, and the septic is very close by. Mm-hmm. And we work with clients. If they're putting the infrastructure in, we'll give parameters of where those things kind of enter or exit the house so that everything is built very close proximity to where the amenities are needed okay. based on where they are located on the tiny home. What yeah. if they want to be completely off grid? How do you solve so that problem? We're just building our fourth completely off-grid tiny home. Okay. Yeah. So complete solar package. Some people choose climate control for propane, sometimes electricity. We've even created a home where they had water cistern on the property. So they would get water trucked in, okay. pumped into cistern. And then there was a water pump inside the house that would bring the water in from the cistern and okay. distribute it around the house, which has worked out very successfully. They have a incinerating toilet and a gray water filtration system so they don't have a septic they didn't have a need for a septic field okay Mm -hmm. and what do these tiny homes cost Mm, good question i believe our starting rate at about 24 feet for our coastal escape is one hundred thirty thousand. okay and that includes everything but your washer and dryer so it's move in ready or turnkey and when we say standard or basic that's not what they are they're more moderate yeah. Um, and you can obviously choose different finishes that, you know, create a higher end tiny home. And so they can go all the way into the 200s you know, with the solar package and, you know, all the extras that people want finishing their home tile. So you can buy a whole house that you can live in on the Sunshine yeah. Coast, this expensive yes. market for 130000 That's amazing. You can. Yeah. 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 And live quite comfortably. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Close to nature. Imagine we'll be very close to have nature. Have a nice year. What I love about tiny homes, especially if you're not buying property or connecting with already existing home or property owners, is you kind of live in places that you wouldn't normally live if right. you were to purchase something yourself. A lot of times people are looking at townhouses or condominiums, so you're looking at high density versus out there in the nature. One person lives creekside, there's other people who live oceanside. I think it just gives you know more options to people out there. That okay. wouldn't normally be presented in standard homes. And what about bylaws? Is there any bylaws that can get in the way of living in a tiny home? Lots a little, of bit, little bit of deja vu here. Asking bylaws you. is a bad word. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of things to be in consideration when it comes to bylaws. So right now, the tiny homes that are built to the RV standards, which is the majority of the industry right now, they're not considered full-time permanent occupancy. So the province or the government of Canada or the municipalities, we can't decide. I haven't found the language that actually means that they are not livable for more than 49% of the year. Yeah. I've yet to find the actual regulation about that, mm-hmm. but it is common knowledge within the municipal and provincial realm that RVs are not to be lived in for more than 49% of the year, which then they don't have really any sort of support or regulation around having them on your property. So a lot of people who are living in their tiny homes that are built to the RV standards are living on the down low, I guess. And so what's happened here on the Sunshine Coast and in many regions of BC, we rely on a complaint-based system. Mm -hmm. So if you move a tiny home onto a piece of property and you have, you know, conflict with your neighbor, the neighbor calls it in. The municipality has the responsibility to investigate and on basis on their findings, they all have different curriculums that they operate through. 
can be, you know, just the removal fines. Like there's a bunch of things that kind of come along with that. And it's very specific to each region. So, so just unfortunately, that's, you know, a lot of people are living on the down low and at risk of, you know, being outed yeah. by whatever circumstance, which is not a very like friendly sort of place to be. But I've found that we've delivered tiny homes throughout the Sunshine Coast. People okay. have been living for years, very peacefully. And I'm starting to call some of the areas that we're delivering to tiny home neighborhood hubs. So oh, that's so cool. Yeah, what happens is one lands and it's there successfully for a period of time. And then neighbors are like, okay, great, let's try this. So I get phone mm -hmm. calls saying, oh, yeah, hey, you've got a home here. We'd love to explore this option. And I try to help facilitate with full transparency. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess another workaround would be to move a Sunshine Coast tiny home to a different region that has less strict bylaws. So, so there are places that have no bylaws, which is wonderful. They still mm -hmm. exist on the planet sometimes very rural areas outside of city or, you know, municipal districts. And so they're out of town. So they're a bit of a trek to get to. Some of them, like you say, would be off-grid capabilities because they don't have mm -hmm. a lot of amenities running to them. The other sort of off-putting part about that is a lot of them, they're not in a fire district, so they don't have fire protection, but they have peace and they don't have a lot of neighbors. And so a lot of people are drawn to that. My mom has property in the interior of BC. It's actually 30 minutes away from two larger towns okay. in the interior. And she has no bylaw curriculum. The only thing that they need to have inspected is the electrical. And in her circumstances, she has a tiny house there. They're just to inspect the electrical that is powered and supportive of her plugging it in from the exterior. So Pal River, I think, has a lot of freedom as far as bylaws. The district of Pal River has less stringent bylaws than the city of Pal River and I believe the majority of the Sunshine Coast. Here, very rare that we find places that are not bylawed to death. So, Can you ship all across Canada? Yes, we can. And what's yeah. the cost of that? I think we worked it out prior to the pandemic was about $2,000 a province. Since then, I think things have increased as far as gas rates. I mean, it all fluctuates on the price of gas and um, okay. the cost of labor or time. So let's suppose I wanted to buy a tiny home and ship it all the way to Nova Scotia. Can you winterize the tiny homes? We absolutely can. Yes, okay. we do. We do offer full winter packages. We actually just recently discovered that we can increase the gross vehicle weight rating of the axles um, okay. to accommodate such things as possibly putting in more lumber to give two by six construction to have thicker walls for more insulation. We're finding that there's a lot of innovative insulation products out there that we can utilize to increase Ontario and the East Coast have our values that need to meet 40 to 60 R. So okay. we like to look at the building codes of the province that each tiny home are getting delivered to. Okay. Um, we're moving into that primarily because we're building manufactured home tiny homes, which is a legal version of a tiny home build. The blessing is, is that the standard for the manufactured home has no criteria stipulation for building on a chassis. And there are no limitations for implementing a storage loft with service stairs. So okay. we're managing to find through that sort of loophole in the curriculum that there isn't any language around it yet ensure that if industry possibly starts building to that that they would remove or put in language because as you know anything that is 
a standard or a code is a living document that people, you know, will implement changes to suit or to restrict some things. But I work on the Tiny Home Alliance of Canada. I've been a board member for five years, working with the president. Her name is Adrian. And we are actually in conversation with the code creators and the regulators through the CFSA standard. And we're actually have another meeting tomorrow. So we're looking for solutions and working with the people that might have the power and the knowledge for us to be able to help facilitate some of that. So it's very exciting right now for us at the Alliance and my company as well. Mm -hmm. It sounds good. I have a completely random question. Wonder about this the other day. They're on wheels. So what do you do about the tires long-term? Do you have to pump up the tires? Do you have to take the tires off, put on blocks? Like, How does that part work? Yeah. So right now with the RV standards, some people are electing to take, like cribbing their homes and taking their tires off. Okay. Our suggestion is to not do that. Sometimes it compromises the spring axles that are put on there. They're actually built to do a specific job. So you could be compromising your axles. What we do suggest is that you skirt your home. You actually, you know, you can lift it up and off the tires if you want to. We actually just suggest to leave a little bit of weight, Mm -hmm. but cover your tires so that they're protected from the elements and the sun. Sun is the worst enemy for your tires because it starts to deteriorate. And then, of course, if you were to move your home, taking off and putting on the tires is a bit of a task, especially if things are settling and and your house settles, which happens even with best laid efforts, unless you're putting it on a concrete slab. Mm -hmm. Do you have to pump them up every once in a while? uh, I would probably, you know, monitor that. But I think it would be fine to even let some air out if you needed to rotate the tires. But um, I think it's kind of when you're going to move it, there's a criteria. We actually have a checklist for our clients in the manual yeah. of what to, to look for and what to do prior to moving the house, which would be checking the levels of the pressure okay. and then putting the air in the tires. I only ask because yeah, I've got four moving. kids and every time we go to go for a bike ride, if it's been a while, I got to pump up oh, like five yeah. sets of bike tires. And so well, <laughs> it made me wonder. Much different ply and much different materials than oh, okay, the okay. standard. Yeah, <laughs> the tires that we use are eight ply, so they don't. Um, leak is bad. Yeah, it's the fluctuation of temperature that actually does the decrease and the increase. So each okay. time it will, you know, deflate due to cold temperatures and right. some time will inflate. So always best to be mindful of that as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so do any of your clients use them as rentals? So I have one, our very first clients, they took on their prototype build and uh, they brought it up to Powell River, lives at Frolander Bay Resort. They have many little tiny homes on their property, but only one tiny home on wheels. Okay. And yeah, it's been up there as a successful Airbnb since 2000 and I want to say 18. Yeah. Okay. 18, 19. Yeah. Okay. So people can check that out online if they want to. Yes. Yes, they can. Awesome. So where can people find out more about you or or Sunshine Coast Tiny Homes? Yeah. So we're Sunshine Tiny Homes on everything. So Facebook. Instagram and we have a website is Sunshine Tiny Homes. So you can find us there. And there is a contact us page. You can actually contact us to get on and subscribe to our email list, or you can book a consultation online. Okay, awesome. I'll put that in the show notes as well so people can find you. Wonderful. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's all we have for today. Okay. Thanks again for being on the show. Wonderful. I'm thankful to have been on the show and have an opportunity to you know, give some information about tiny homes. That's awesome. It's my favorite subject. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, there you have it. You can find out more about Sunshine Coast Tiny Homes by visiting www.sunshinetinyhomes.com or by finding Pam on social media at the links and handles listed in the show notes. If you're looking to finance a tiny home, you can reach out to me at www.nathandemers.ca and I can provide you with options and strategies for how to get it done at the lowest price possible. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Coast Real Estate Podcast. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.